0: We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. I think something is happening.
1: Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle
0: excited. What we've got here is failure to communicate.
1: I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. Whatever appears emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of sight. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Sordid Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be looking at 2004's The Passion of the Christ, directed by Mel Gibson and written by Gibson and Benedict Fitzgerald. Here's a clip from The Passion of the Christ. it not. he the the Nannah window. Because will Okay, that was a clip from 2004's The Passion of the Christ, uh, a story, I guess you could call it a story, but it's taken directly from the Bible about maybe the last, I guess it's the last day or so? Uh, the timeline's a little a little fuzzy for me on that one, but maybe uh, some have said the last 12 hours of Jesus' life, the last day of Jesus' life. Uh, it's kind of hard.
0: It's the 14 stations.
1: Yes, it is based upon the stations of the cross, which uh, many Catholics out there will probably know what they are, and other people, you can look it up. But... But anyway, uh, so we, we were probably going to do this last week for Easter, but we ended up ha- getting a week behind for various reasons. Um, but we're doing it this week, no matter what. Um, so I chose this film, and I, you might be curious as to why I chose this, Rick. But I have always found this to be a very fascinating movie. Uh, not only the, the controversy that, it, of course, inspired at the time. Uh, there's a lot of people who absolutely love this movie, and there are some people who I don't I don't know that anybody loves this movie. But I think there is some some respect for it out there, at least for of, as you know as a film. Uh, it's not an easy watch, obviously, but uh, I, I I've always found Mel Gibson to be one of the more fascinating directors in Hollywood, even though he's not really his status in Hollywood is sort of shaky still, even after Hacksaw Ridge. I would I would reckon. Um, But, uh, yeah, he's one of the most fascinating directors to me working today. His choices for movies are bizarre, considering what he's done as an actor and how mainstream his movies usually have been as an actor, uh, at least as he's gotten older anyway. I think when he was younger, he he experimented a little bit more. Um, But, uh, yeah, anyway, so I I find this movie to be absolutely uh, fascinating in many ways. And as a fan of uh, mythology and having grown up Catholic, I also think it's just an incredibly well done version of what what his own personal. This is such a. It seems like such a one of the most personal movies ever made. I almost feel like this is a movie that Mel Gibson made for his own personal collection. Whether or not anybody saw it, didn't really matter. It just seems to me that it is an extremely personal movie, and you don't see a lot of those in wide release anymore. Anyway, that's that's why I chose this.
0: Yeah, but I think there's a lot of people who really do love this movie. Like some people had, quote unquote, a religious experience watching the movie. Uh, I'm not one of those people. Now, I actually love horror films. And I mention this because, as everyone knows, this film is really graphic. It's brutal. It's violent. It's one of the most controversial films ever made, one of the most violent films ever made, one of the bloodiest films ever made. And so it's a sort of movie that i would never recommend to anyone um just based on the fact that it's so incredibly violent like like my mom she's like super religious right i would never ever let her watch this movie like i don't think she would handle it very well you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so it's one of those movies that's sort of like this is gonna be a weird comparison but it's sort of like a movie like serbian film or pierre paolo pasolini's salo Movies that have a reputation for being very controversial, very violent, very graphic, uh, pushing the boundaries. Uh, Some people consider these movies great. Some people think they're just trash. The thing about The Passion of Christ, and here's where I'm coming from. I'm not a fan of the movie. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, I like horror films. So the blood and the gore and the whipping doesn't really bug me like it's not like I'm gonna turn around and just like cry in a corner for like a half an hour because I'm shocked by what I'm seeing because I've seen like a lot worse but I like even when I watch horror films I still want like a story it's not necessarily that I want a traditional three-act structure beginning middle and end type thing but this is essentially like like you said it it's 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 really just it's, it's not even like it's like the last days of of his quote-unquote life before he gets crucified, but it's all it is. It's just Jesus being tortured for, I would say, a good one hour and 55 minutes. One hour and 55 minutes of watching this guy get tortured. But I understand why people like the movie. So here's the thing, Patrick. I did not want to read anything about the movie. I I know there was a controversy. I don't know what happened. I didn't want to read a single review. You asked me if I read Ebert's review. This is the one and only time I've ever recorded a podcast to discuss a film where I've done absolutely zero research. Because I really want this to be my raw sort of like emotional reaction to watching this movie and what I truly honestly feel about the film, right? Mm -hmm. But what I thought was I couldn't help but think that, okay, so the people that like this movie – that enjoy this movie for whatever reason, it's no different than say me liking any one of the films that are part of Gus Van Sant's trilogy of dying. Which, if you're not uh, familiar oh. with Gus Van Sant, he basically made three movies: uh, Jerry, Elephant, and Last Days. And all three films are very similar in terms of like the structure and thematically what they're addressing. But they're films that don't have much dialogue. They're mood pieces. They all tend to take place over the course of, like, the last three days or the last day of somebody's life. Last Days is specifically about Kurt Cobain. And I think, like, if anything, I would compare this to a movie like Last Days. It's like the last three days of Kurt Cobain's life. This is like the last last three days of his, quote-unquote, life before he's crucified, right? But the thing with those movies and or even like if I think of like a filmmaker like Bellatar who I love like workmeister's harmonies is one of my favorite movies of all time and it's it's like technically like a mood piece there's not much going on in terms of like traditional storytelling having like characters with actual names like you know what I mean like being introduced to these characters having like dialogue and conversations but I like these movies because storytelling also involves the visuals right and so i understand why people like this movie there's things that i like about it there's things that i love about it especially the the, the camera work like i think of the camera shot that spins upside down while he's carrying the cross to the top of the mountain and then we get the point of view shot of jesus and it's so chaotic and the camera work is amazing i think of The dedicated performance by the main actor, who was beaten on set, accidentally, but still beaten. He got struck by lightning. I mean, the guy almost died making this movie. And he's so dedicated to his performance. And it's an incredible, incredible performance. And I think of maybe, like, the best moment in the the entire film, when we get the point of view shot of God, his eye. And he drops a tear, and the tear falls to earth, hits the ground, and causes an earthquake. So there's a lot of things to like about this movie. And from the point of view of filmmaking, like the craft of filmmaking, like the lighting, the cinematography, the editing, the score, it's pretty amazing. Like it really is amazing. The problem is it's hard for me to say I enjoy watching this movie because (laughs) that would mean (laughs) I enjoy watching a man get beat up for an hour and 55 minutes.
1: Yeah, and that's why I say like there are people, okay, maybe there are people I, I should rephrase that. Who love this movie, but I doubt there's too many people out there who enjoy watching this movie. Even if they had a religious experience, this is a a rare movie. It's a it's a very strange movie in the sense that, uh, like you say, there isn't really uh, traditional storytelling in this. Um, This movie requires context in order for you to get anything out of it. So if you don't know this story and aren't uh, aren't like familiar with it through and through, like the knowing it like the back of your hand, because some of the flashbacks. Mel Gibson's relying on your knowledge of the Bible. He's not going to tell you what any of this stuff is when people are laying down palms, for instance. Like, if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, too bad. He's not going to tell you. He's making this movie specifically for people who have a good knowledge of, of the Bible, of the New Testament. And, I mean, originally he didn't even want to have subtitles in this movie. He just wanted to have them speaking these ancient languages. And you were just going to have to get by on the visuals because he just, he just assumes whoever is interested in this movie knows the story really well. So it's a strange movie, and I, I, I you rarely see a movie where so much context is necessary bef- be- for you to understand the movie and get something out of it. Now, having grown up pretty uh, you know strong Catholic, I did have a great grounding in what was going on. I get all the iconography. I've seen it, or I've read about it. I should say, and this is where I brought up Roger Ebert's review because he also grew up Catholic, and to, he. he he mentions a story in his review about how when he would do Stations at the Cross as an altar boy when he was young, you you were familiar with what was going on and you understood the story of what happened. You know, all many times he fell and, you know, the, the the scourging and the the crown of thorns and all that kind of stuff. But then he was just ready for it to be over and he wanted to go home and watch Illinois basketball. But he said watching this movie was the first time he ever saw a visceral visual depiction and where he understood what the, the power of this comes from and gibson's the torture i i feel here has been some people misunderstand it they they feel i i've heard it being accused of being called torture porn i think that is a it, an absolutely wrong description because this torture is meant for a reason there is purpose behind this it is designed to make you feel horrible because that's what this story is supposed to make people feel and right up until the last shot one of the last shots, it's not the very last shot, but it's the last shot at the end of the crucifixion before sort of the epilogue um, showing him, you know, uh, get, uh, you know, get up again out of his tomb. Uh, this is just a shot of Mary clutching Jesus's absolutely shredded body, which has been whipped and stabbed and beaten and, you know, pierced in the side and nailed and everything like that. And she's staring at the screen and she's staring at directly into the camera so it's like kind of this is an accusation of all of you all of humanity did this to this person and i think again context is necessary here that that is what catholics are taught that is sort of the shame upon mankind right and so any power that comes from this movie comes from watching this man being absolutely beaten by the mob and knowing that you're supposed to feel guilt for that that it, that 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 that's a big part of Catholicism is guilt, right? And it's it's our guilt for doing this horrible, horrible thing to somebody who was preaching for everybody to get along, you know. So I, for me, when I saw this in theaters, I was struck. I mean, I was shaken. There's no question because I had not seen this kind of depiction uh, like that uh, of this religious thing. And it, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself like I, I don't attend mass or anything like that. But again, I have a very strong background in Catholicism. And these images really hit home. And so for me, it was very, very powerful. But I can absolutely understand why, why it would not hit other people, because they didn't have that years, decades of grounding in this like I had.
0: Yeah, I mean, I grew up Catholic. I don't really consider myself religious as of right now. I'm very spiritual. I just choose not to follow a specific religion because I don't think anyone has it right. But that's a story for a different podcast. But I used to be an altar boy and the priest at my local church was I would call a good friend. I actually went to his bedside before he died later in life because he was an amazing dude. So I do have the background of being a Catholic and being religious and still being spiritual the problem with the movie is it's really violent and and it's all it is it's like you i think he gets whipped 82 times 82 times i mean a that's lot. insane and and so the, the, i understand why people are angry or this, or do not like the movie because it's 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 a fair criticism to not want to watch a movie in which mel gibson decided to not just say give the traditional 40 lashes no he had to double it he had to give 82 the point is You know, with this podcast, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a good movie or it's a bad movie because that all depends on the viewer. Some people like Citizen Kane. Some people do not care about Rosebud and who Rosebud is. Mm -hmm. Some people like Hitchcock and some people don't like Hitchcock. Not everyone's going to like every movie. No. Me, personally speaking, I think the movie's well made. I just don't enjoy watching the movie because it's not giving me anything that i don't already know from reading the bible a hundred million times from when i was younger and so when i watched a movie it's like what i'm thinking in my head i'm like wow that's an amazing camera shot or holy cow i love the lighting or i love the raw emotion of the film like the fact that a good chunk of the movie does not use subtitles. I think that's fantastic. It's a great idea. There's so many great ideas that you can pull from this movie. I wish he made a movie that didn't just focus on the torture that he suffered. I would have loved to have seen, I mean, it it would have been a longer movie and I know he's making a follow-up. I'm not going to call it a sequel, but he's doing the resurrection of Christ. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of cool. And I guess for me personally, it's like, Even though I'm not really, you know, I don't practice the Catholic religion. I don't go to church, although I still go to church every once in a while. Um, But, like, I I do sort of feel guilty watching a movie because I kind of feel like there's a filmmaker who decided to make a movie where Jesus gets the living crap kicked out of him for two hours and that's the whole entire movie. It just focuses on that specific part of his life. And that is it. And then he made $500 million out of it. And I don't know. I kind of feel like, is that exploiting? Like, Jesus Christ? Like, you know what I mean? And then, like,
1: I don't know. I don't have the answers to these questions. I don't think he, int- I, like, that's not on him that he made $500 million. He had a great marketing campaign. But he also funded this movie by himself. And I think it was a big risk. I You know, nobody oh, wanted sure. to touch this movie. and. Again, I I, I don't want people to—my whole point of this is I don't want people to misunderstand. There is a lot of misunderstanding around this movie. Like, the the violence—I understand people saying, why did you have to focus on this part? But that's a huge part of the Catholic religion, and clearly it's important to Mel Gibson. That's why I wanted to say this is is obviously a very personal movie. That's why he chose not to include so many other aspects of the New Testament— he really feels, obviously, Mel Gibson is a troubled person. <laughs> I, should, I, I mean, just based on this behavior, right? He clearly must have, there's something that's eaten at him a little bit. And if there's some guilt like uh, involved in all of that, I can see why he focuses on this part. And he, he tends to torture, he has a lot of characters uh, that that he tortures in his movies, especially ones that he plays. Um because <laughs> he seems
0: tortured in real life,
1: I think so. And I think that this this aspect of the Bible and the Stations of the Cross, more appropriately, it's not so much the Bible that this, but it is the Stations of the Cross um, that really appeals to him in some way because it makes him it makes him feel something. It makes him connect with his religion a little bit more. That guilt and shame. And I think that's why he, he he did this. And I don't think it's fair to criticize the movie for doing that. I think it does exactly what he intended. It makes people feel awful. And that's why he made this movie, because I think he thinks an important part of his religion is to feel awful.
0: Yeah, but I'm not criticizing the movie for how I feel. No, I'm but, just saying the mixed people. emotions I have while watching a movie, right? But it's no different. Like, I bring up Last Days. Because like last days is like about the th- the, the last th- three days of Kurt Cobain's life and what Gus Van Sant assumes it was like, even though he wasn't present and has never actually met Kurt Cobain and, you know, has no idea what happened. Right. And so some people would take offense to that because they're like, here's this guy making a movie about Kurt Cobain, a man who I idolize, who was like my favorite singer or artist growing up or whatever it is, or even a friend or a lover or son or, bro- you know, someone related to it, like, who knows, right? There's people that could be offended by it. But at the end of the day, like he's just making a movie and trying to tell a story, and it's his story as a filmmaker. But I guess the difference between – and I'm not even a big fan of Last Days. There's things I love about that movie. Of the trilogy from Gus Van Sant, the one I really like is Elephant. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, with those movies, it's a lot easier to sit back and watch those movies because it's not two hours of just watching a guy get beat up. There's yeah. a lot more going on. Some people would argue with, with Jerry, there's nothing going on because it's just a man walking around in the, <laughs> the desert, desert for two you know, hours.
1: It, it is. It, is a, it's a, it takes a certain type. And I think that this one does as well. So upon, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I did see it in theaters, and I do own the DVD, and I have watched it. Uh, it's just not a movie you watch very often. <laughs> But I did want to say this. I, I think the first, it does get, again, it's not necessarily, it's not two hours of torture. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised. The whipping doesn't start until you're about an hour in. I think it was 54 minutes when the whipping actually starts. Uh, and up until that point, Jesus is punched a couple of times. And there are a couple things that happen to him. But it focuses a lot on, um, well, there's a little bit of Pontius Pilate in there. And it focuses a lot on Judas, which I find to be fascinating. There are some odd little Mel Gibson weird weirdo things that he likes to include in his movies in this movie and that includes the portrayal of satan i would say uh which is just bizarre and especially the little like baby old baby that
0: (laughs) yeah so monica bellucci is she satan or
1: no no monica bellucci is mary magdalene so she's with mary most of the time
0: Okay, so here here's the thing about this movie, right? If, like you said, if you've never read the Bible or if you have no knowledge of Jesus Christ or the Catholic religion or... Religion, or anything mean, like, you'll get nothing. You would watch this, yeah, you would like, but I mean, you could, you could, you could sit, sit hey. back and watch a movie and still feel for a guy who's getting living crap kicked out of him and tortured and crucified and killed. Sure, and you're not entirely sure why, but you walk away thinking that he's being accused of a crime that he didn't commit because it's clearly obvious that he's not guilty of whatever they think he's guilty of. Because there's only like, there's like some people in this movie who, and again, I should know who they are, but I'm not entirely sure who they are.
1: Well, I, I, I could probably answer any question. I'm so familiar with this. So he is guilty. And by his own admission, he's guilty. He's guilty of blasphemy in their eyes. And that was enough to condemn somebody to death. However, because of the way that the Roman rule was that the Jewish people weren't allowed to condemn somebody to death. It had to be the Roman governor who actually condemned, some, condemned somebody to death. So they have to go to him in order for that to happen. Uh, they can arrest somebody, as they did, and they can question them, but they can't really punish. It has to be the Romans who do that because that was the legal way, right? So, right,
0: but the Romans in the movie, don't actually believe that he's guilty. No, they, 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 they don't. They, they only – They're not Jews, They don't care, so. but they don't actually believe it. But they only, they only like, agree to crucifying him just to
1: – avoid insurrection exactly yeah they don't care about the jewish religion obviously they have their own thing going on and and the romans back then i'm not really sure that they were overly, overly religious in anything um i don't think that a lot of people were you know the the temples you know devoted to mars or apollo weren't really it was a different kind of religion um so they did not really care about blasphemy and they didn't understand why they needed to con- they didn't believe they needed to condemn somebody to death for blasphemy um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you know anybody named Judas? Uh, no, not a, not an actual person. <laughs> Do you know anybody named Peter? Yeah, lots of Peters out there. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I'm just saying. Like Peter, pretty much turned his back on Jesus he, not once, not twice, three times. He right? He did, and
1: it was predicted. <laughs> and Peter, remember, is was uh, was the uh, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, the rock that the church was built on. So Peter wasn't uh, Jesus's favorite. But he was considered his most reliable, even though he denied him three times, right? So Peter goes on to be the founder of the church, according to the New Testament. And John is the other apostle there that you see. He's often with Mary and Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, of course, that's John. That was Jesus' favorite apostle, according to Jesus, for some reason, or according to the Bible anyway. They always refer to him as Jesus' favorite. Um, uh, that's, uh, I don't know why, but <laughs> that was how they refer Um Oh, I was saying I, I don't really know the story of the Mount of Olives well enough to know which other apostle was there. But um, but the others, you know, obviously Judas. Which again, I I think the reason that Gibson focuses on Judas so much because all that stuff. I mean, it is said that Judas hanged himself, but there's not really a lot of detail as to Judas like th- being tortured, tormented by those little demon kids, and that's not in the Bible. Like and the donkey, the rotting donkey, and all the time they spend with him. There's not really much time spent with him. Basically, he betrays him for the thirty pieces of silver in the Bible. He 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 identifies him in the garden by kissing him. That is, that was that was in there, and then he's kind of gone, and you just know that he hung himself afterwards. But I think Gibson spends so much time on on Judas because of that guilt factor, so he loves showing the guilt, and I think that's what this movie is all about. It's supposed to make you feel guilty, and again, that's why I believe the last shot is Mary looking. Directly at the audience, saying, "You know, why? Why did we do this?" And she's holding her son, who is now dead, um, which is kind of—I believe that that last shot actually is based on a, on a um, Renaissance painting, too. Again, people are going to get out of this a lot what they bring into it. It is an unconventional movie. It's, it, you're absolutely right. I think that anybody who doesn't uh, like or you know the context of all of this, or is, isn't interested in the context of all of this, and doesn't know it, is not going to get hardly anything out of it. Because you're right. After the hour mark. It becomes just straight-up beating. And him carrying the cross goes on for a long time, and he falls down five times instead of three times. If I remember my stations right, he only fell three times. But Gibson Long, that's always bothered me, by the way, that he makes him fall five times. It's too, too many. Um, But I think he's starting to squeeze in everything.
0: But not just that, but like he also, like I said, he doesn't get the 39 lashes or the 40. He gets 82. He actually gets... 39 and then they flip them over and then they give him a uh, 34 more and anyhow he just like he plays around with numbers for some unknown reason in this movie so it's like he's trying to make things as accurate as you know possible according to like the bible and at the same time he's breaking the rules
1: yes he's doing certain things that are like i don't He's doing certain things. He's throwing in artistic things for, for his own purposes. Uh, you see a lot of Gibson staples in this, like the, the use of slow motion, especially like stop it, slowing down and speeding up. Like, uh, he, he does have a tendency to do that in Apocalypto as well. Um, he likes to do like when they toss the 30 pieces of silver in slow motion and then I'll, you know speed back up or even the fight in the Mount of Olives, how it kind of goes from fast to slow to fast to slow. Uh, And you you see him do a lot of those things like, you know, the falling down. It's all all in slow motion, pretty much. Um, Yeah, he's (laughs) he's got a lot of his typical things. He's not working on a very broad canvas, even though he does give it kind of an epic feel. Um, You don't get a lot of sweeping shots or anything like that. Uh, You know, this is a modestly budgeted movie uh, because he had to pay for it all himself. I believe it was only 30 million dollars uh, for the actual production and then another 15 or so in marketing, uh, which was all paid for by Gibson's production company. Uh, so yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't get to build extravagant sets or things like that, even though there are a a couple of nice shots, um, you know, in the, in the courtyard of, of Pontius Pilate, um, after, after he's sort of condemned him to death, washed his hands, um, you know, of the entire affair. So, yeah, it's Gibson as far as like this to me is where obviously Braveheart was his breakthrough, you know, uh, direct. It wasn't his debut. It, the Man Without a Face was his directorial debut. But Braveheart, of course, is when he burst onto the scene and he won the Best Directing Oscar. And it was a classic epic, right? Braveheart's a very classic with a couple of weird, weird things thrown in, right? But I think this is the movie where you first got to see how weird Gibson can get with stuff. Because, I, I mean, I. I love the Satan floating through the crowds. I think that's absolutely fantastic, a way of depicting the evil in people kind of thing, Um, you know, from a religious point of view. And I love the Judas being tormented by those little kids and the way his nose itches and he's rubbing it against stuff and he can't get rid of the the itching nose. I've meant to look that up because I wonder if there's some symbolic significance to an itchy nose and somebody feeling guilt. I I don't know if that's a, a thing. But yeah, he, he's got, like, I love the whole scene where, where Judas is tormented by the little <laughs> demon kids whose faces change. Or when that thing howls out of the darkness. There's a shot where there's just a little bit of empty space, and Judas is leaning against a pillar, and he turns around slowly, and all of a sudden this demon something like just howls out and is, like and scares you. you. know It's a little bit of a jump scare. Um, just odd things like that. I don't know where Gibson got those ideas, but they're they, they sort of add to what he would go on to do in Apocalypto, where I think he got even weirder.
0: Yeah, I think um, the way he portrays evil in this movie is that it's an infection. And so I think when you do see him scratching his nose, it sort of like implies that it's an infection. Everyone's getting infected, like they're spreading the disease, they're spreading the evil. That's how I kind of saw it, at least when watching this movie. Um, I I like the... I like Mad Mel. Like I, I like his craziness as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like I'm saying like like in terms of like the actual craft of filmmaking, I think this is a really well made movie, and I'm actually a fan of a, 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 what's it called? Ap- Apocalypto. Yeah. Okay, I haven't seen it in so long. I'm I'm a fan of that movie too. I can appreciate the craft that can pre- appreciate the talent behind something but doesn't necessarily mean i enjoy it i can go to the louvre and stare at the mona lisa for 2 hours it doesn't mean i'm going to walk out and think that that's the greatest painting i've ever seen because i don't know much about painting and to me honestly it it doesn't really look good <laughs> it just it's just it's just, <laughs> it's just it's just a famous painting so you're supposed to go and appreciate it and understand and acknowledge that it's a beautiful piece of of art but I just look at it and I'm just like, oh, okay, like I don't, it's not really my thing, you know. I, I yeah. would rather see a Jackson Pollock painting for, for you know what I mean, like, right. <clears throat> yeah. So, so like, so I, I don't know, and it's it's one of these movies where like I don't, I feel guilty because I don't really have much to say. I mean, apart from what I've already said, like I think that if you have no knowledge of the Bible, you can walk into this movie and I think you can still enjoy Not enjoy it, but appreciate it, and walk away. I don't know with some sort of feeling about the character, like 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 I think that that you would still uh, like. (laughs) I'm gonna use the the word character here. (laughs) You're still gonna like the main character, like like I'm, I'm like think think of it as someone who does not know who Jesus is. I think they can still watch this movie and sympathize for the main character, appreciate what the director's trying to do and 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 still feel that same sense of guilt that, that a Catholic would from watching this movie. Like, for sure. Like, there's no difference. I just kind of feel, personally, like, I just wish that he focused more on the positives, like the resurrection and what happened afterwards. Uh, maybe that's me just wanting more of a positive movie.
1: You're you're not the only one to say that. Like, that was a big criticism. A lot of people wished he focused more on the positive aspects.
0: Right, okay. Because, like, and, and I don't mean this as an insult, or I don't want to, like, piss people off, but... If I made a movie about Matthew Shepard, right? And so, like, let's say the younger LGBTQ community has no idea who this guy is because they're, like, 14, 15 years old and they don't know his story, right? And so I make a movie and I just focus on the last, like, six hours of his life and him being tortured and killed. And that is my movie. Like, I don't know how people would react to, to that. Like, I know he's not the son of God, but you know what I mean? Like, anyone who's part of the LGBTQ com- community who does not know who Matthew Shepard is or, or family or relatives or friends of him, how would they feel about that movie? Like, people could have mixed reactions because you're making a movie about what you think the last six hours or the last six days or whatever of this man's life is. And I can understand why people would feel, like, insulted or or confused or or just angry like it makes sense right because people have obviously um you know if you're a catholic you, like you know jesus is not just some dude he's jesus christ he's like the son of god so you, it's easy to be offended by whatever mel gibson's trying to do that said there's a lot of religious people who think that this movie again is incredible so well, it, it's 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 so weird how Two people of faith, two people who practice the Catholic religion can have completely opposite reactions to this movie, one being totally positive and one being totally negative.
1: Well, I think that I'm going to make this comparison. You can tell me if I'm way off on this and like I'm kind of going out there. But I'm going from sort of a similar feeling that I got during this other movie, only it is it 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 ends in a, in a very different light, I guess I would say, or or it kind of works its story around. In a different way and that is schindler's list which is a movie designed to make you feel awful now it's designed to make you feel awful for most of the movie but then uplifted at the end because of steven spielberg there were people who were offended by that movie because it had a positive spin and it kind of depicted a positive aspect or, or character i shouldn't say aspect a positive character uh and storyline from the holocaust but that movie is full of a lot of brutality and torture and it just and it's designed that way because it wants to show you what what somebody did without putting on any filters this isn't a 1950s or 60s thing this isn't the great escape or you know whatever they wanted to say no no people put guns to people's heads and they blew their brains out and we want you to see this because this is what happened now it's designed to make you feel bad, and I believe that's exactly what Gibson was doing with this. Not that anybody could say like this is what happened, but this is what Gibson believes happened, right? You know, in a sense, he wants you. He doesn't want you to to focus on the positive aspects of Jesus' life. Those are there are plenty of other stories for that. He wants to say this is what this is what we did to this nice person. This is what we did to this guy who came here preaching, you know, love your neighbor and everything like that we whipped him and we beat him and we stabbed him and we nailed his hands to a piece of wood and we let him hang there until he died and it to me it's very similar in that and 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 powerful in the same respe- uh, respect that something like schindler's list is even though schindler's list is probably is more powerful because it was based on reality um and i'm not like if somebody's out there believes that the the, the you know Mel Gibson story is reality, it's based on the Bible and it's based on other stories. So there's there's mythology in there as well. Um,
0: but, well, the Bible like wasn't written until hundreds of years later. Yeah. Like these stories are passed on for generations after generations. But
1: we know the Holocaust happened. We have no proof that 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 you know, Jesus died, you know, well, like
0: scientifically there was a man named Jesus who did walk yes. the earth.
1: Now, yes.
0: is he a son of God? That's up to you
1: to believe or not. Right. Right. But even his last days, we're not entirely sure that this, this actually went on, but we are sure that the Holocaust. Yeah. Happened. And so, <laughs> and we're sure that all those things did happen during it. But, uh, but that to me, like there are people who are offended by that as well. There's, there were, were Jewish people who did not like that. There were filmmakers who openly criticized uh, Steven Spielberg for his depiction, of the Holocaust because it had some sentimentality to it and a happy ending. Right. Uh, But that's Steven Spielberg and Mel Gibson is not Steven Spielberg. He is a negative filmmaker in many respects. Like he's not a happy ending guy necessarily.
0: Here's the thing. There's a movie called man behind the sun. And the entire movie is about the Japanese concentration camps on the Chinese people during world war two. And the whole entire movie is showing the graphic And gruesome details of how they tortured and killed these people. That's the entire movie. It's the movie in which people fainted. I think three people had a heart attack watching when it was first released. People would vomit. It has like this notorious reputation of being one of the most gruesome, violent, and nasty movies ever made. Is like that's what it's doing. It's showing it like raw, and this is what happened, and we're not going to give you a happy ending or a happy character because there is no happiness inside a concentration camp, right? but but the thing is again people are complex and we are humans and so we're going to have different reactions different emotional reactions to like movies and so i don't think there's anything wrong with having a, an emotional reaction to a movie no um, of course not but 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 the thing is that it's it's like i don't know man it's it's weird because like i think and again I did not read anything about the movie. I remember when the movie came out, I was working at MovieLand video and everyone was talking about the movie. I didn't see it on the big screen, but we got it on DVD and everyone wanted to rent it. It was like our number one uh, rental for like eight weeks in a row or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so everyone would come back and they would talk about it. But I was like, Oh, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't seen. it. So one day I, I watched it, but like when I told you I watched it, I watched it while I was working During a graveyard shift because I was able to put it on, you know, between, say, like, 12 and 4 in the morning because it's, you know, it's past midnight, so I don't have to worry about kids walking in. And so it's one of those movies that I watched in the background. And so it's different when you're watching a movie in the background, you're serving customers, whatever, and you're not really focusing on torture for, like, a good – and I say two hours. Obviously, I'm exaggerating, but it felt like two hours. It is an
1: hour, though. It's an hour. It's a pure hour.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So – so the thing is, when I watched it again, and that, that is what I remember. Like, when I spoke to you last week, and I was like, yeah, I remember liking this movie. Like, I, I remember liking, like, the way it was shot and the camera work and the cinematography and the acting. And, like, you know, th- th- when you talk about making movies, that's what you talk about. Um, and so watching it again, my only beef is that, like, yeah, I didn't enjoy the movie. So I'm not going to lie and say, yeah, I enjoyed watching this movie because I didn't. I actually had to, like, pause it, take a half-hour break. And come back and watch it again because it was just like once I got past the whipping, I'm like, man, I need a break. This movie is like rough. And again, I watch a lot of horror movies, but it's different. It's different than watching like a bunch of teenagers run away from like Jason or Freddy. But here you're watching like Jesus Christ, who you know I have sort of like a quote-unquote relationship with because of my upbringing, and I'm watching him getting tortured for like a good hour. So it's hard to say i enjoy the movie but i get what mel gibson's trying to do but it's it's mad mel right mad mel is mad mel so like he has a reputation and i kind of feel like i always say you have to separate the artist from the art because uh, let's face it a lot a lot of our favorite filmmakers they're a bunch of assholes like they really are they're not good people and so you know just because mel gibson is (laughs) very vocal and and people know about his craziness, <laughs> like, like I think people went into the movie just wanting to hate it because it was Mel Gibson, and they, they, they do not like him. It's no different than everything he made afterwards, right? But like, I'm not like that. Like, I'm just gonna like Roman Polanski. You know, is still considered a great filmmaker despite his crimes, mm-hmm. and he still won an Academy
1: Award. So. <laughs> Even though he's been exiled from this country—not <laughs> exiled, I should say—he put himself into exile. He's been on the lam, right? But, um, but that's
0: where it gets like ch- shady, right? But I'm not going to say, "Oh, uh, I don't like Rosemary's Baby or Repulsion or any of his other movies," because I do. Because he's made some really good movies.
1: No, I'm like you. I, I completely separate the art from the artist. I am interested in movies, and if you can produce something that is it makes for an interesting movie. Look, I'm not gonna say that I'm not gonna defend you and say you shouldn't be arrested for your crimes or something like that, or punished for whatever you've done. But I am interested in seeing good movies, and I just uh, to me like you made this movie. I'm not gonna. It's not gonna taint the movie for me because the person who made it is uh, is you know an ass and the same thing for music or anything like that you know i'll listen to michael jackson still and love you know the thriller album uh it's an amazing album sorry nothing he's ever done changes that he produced a a great that he produced so much great music um yeah but i mean, i think what what i think is there was a lot of misunderstanding with this movie i think what i'm trying to communicate is I totally understand anybody not liking this movie and I can absolutely see the reasons why, what I'm trying to communicate is why some people like this movie. And I think there are a lot of people out there who don't understand how anybody could like this movie or, and like I say, not necessarily enjoy it, but think that it's, that it works really well and is really powerful. So I'm at least, I'm trying to go from that perspective to sort of, uh, like I say, I, this was a controversial movie before it was even released, before anybody had even seen it. It was suffering under you know, certain accusations of anti-Semitism and things like that. I don't think we can get around that. Uh, I don't see it in the movie personally, but um, you know I'd love to have somebody explain to me how it is. Uh, I, I, I just don't necessarily see it. I think it's anti-Roman. They come off as sadistic bastards more than anybody else. Uh, those Romans are just awful, awful people um but other than that i'm i'm not really sure
0: well, let me ask you a question right let's say this movie wasn't about jesus what if we had a movie that was very similar to the life of jesus and like by the way you see this all the time you see people making movies where the main character is if, is inspired by jesus christ in horror yeah. films in like john carpenter films and whatever but it's not like obviously a religious film but Superman what if we had
1: man of steel
0: <laughs> exactly but what if we had like, a very similar movie, but this main character wasn't Jesus. It just took place, you know, in Roman times, and it was... Because, you know, there's 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 not just one person getting no. crucified. There's three people, right? Yeah. So definitely. what if it was just some dude getting crucified, same time period, but it wasn't Jesus? How would people react to this movie? If it was structured exact same way, where you're not given any knowledge of this person's background, who they are, who are these people that surround them, you just know the name, right? And... And then that's it. Like, how would, would people just view it as like a really well-made horror film? Like, like this is what I'm, i I I think about. <laughs>
1: I don't think so because it, I don't think that there's any way that you could relate to the main character. Take away the mythos that Jesus has, because you're expected again. You're expected to to know the context of this character and all the teachings and all the other things that he's done prior to his death. Right. So he's thirty-some years old at this point, and you, there's been a whole New Testament. That if you're uh, a Christian person that you've supposedly read and you know all about, so you're bringing a lot of weight uh, to this this character. And Gibson doesn't establish any of that, so he's expecting you to know, and that's what makes it all the powerful, right? Whereas if this was just a nobody, and they and he told the story in the exact same way, there'd be no power behind the character whatsoever, uh, no no real context for it. So I would it would. It would work even less than it does, I think. And I think it works pretty well for what it is, for what he intended it to to be. I don't think... I think this is a very niche movie, but I think it does exactly what he intended it to do. Um, but it's- I think that you can practice a
0: different religion watch this movie and still walk out with the exact same feeling that someone who's catholic would have when watching a movie like you could be muslim or you can be buddhist or you could be like i don't know whatever you can watch this movie and you could be like okay well here's this man who's considered a son of god who people worship and he's getting tortured by his people and you could still sympathize and walk away feeling like terrible because you're still human and that's something sure. that happened to this person right um but yeah you're obviously like the more knowledge uh, you have of the Bible and Jesus, and if you grew up Catholic, clearly you're going to have more of a, an emotional reaction to it. But at the same time, a lot of people have a complete – like we said, you could go either way. Like yeah. People can hate it or love it based on them being Catholic
1: and whether, or Christian. And whether the iconography of Catholicism or Christianity actually means anything to you. Like if you can look at a painting – because so much of this is based on classic imagery, right? And it's like – if you grew up on this and that had an effect on you, it didn't, it didn't affect. It doesn't affect everybody the same way the iconography, and but it does affect some people. And I guess I was one of the people that was more affected than I thought I was by it, uh, because seeing some of these images were just they were, they they were things that were burned into my brain. Only I hadn't actually seen them in this way before, and so they again it really struck me. Um, But, yeah, I think it it relies a lot on that. And that's why I say this is – it's almost like Gibson just made this movie for himself. Like, he didn't really care if people got it. It's kind of – it's his understanding of the subject matter and what interests him about that subject matter. And if you don't like it, kind of too bad. Like, I I feel like he could have just made this, never released it, and then put it in his own personal library for him to watch every now and again. Um, That's the way it feels like to me. Like, it's kind of a – it's off-putting in the same way that it, that mother I think is off-putting like Darren Aronofsky is just making an intensely personal movie that rants and raves. It's like, he basically just decided to shout and he doesn't care if the audience goes along with it or not. This was his own personal rant. And I believe like this is Gibson's own, not a rant, but it's his own personal um, therapy, like with his own demons and stuff like that and his own guilt uh, and, and his connection to his religion. So I, i I just feel like he's working out some stuff here (laughs) and that's that makes it interesting whether or not it's entertaining uh i I don't think this is a very entertaining movie although i think the first hour or so is is is, it's got has got more story it's the last hour when it's just whipping you know beating upon beating and torture upon torture There, there really isn't anything there um
0: I've said this before in a podcast so many times in the past, but it's like watching the Chantal Ackerman movie, which is like six hours long of a lady a housewife doing her house chores. <laughs> and that is it. Right. That's how the last hour walk away. Yeah. Right. And people walk away saying that's a work of art. It's one of the greatest films ever made. And but like art doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be entertaining. Like art and entertainment can be one and it can be separated. And so it's like, it's no different than once again, I go to a museum and I stare at a painting for an hour. I'm not going to walk away and say, Hey, that was like the most entertaining, like most fun hour I've had in the past week. Cause no, I stood there and I stared at a painting for an entire hour. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. And I would call it a great work of art because you can clearly see that the filmmaker was passionate about the material. Uh, he clearly put everything he had into this and whether or not you don't have to appreciate it because art, every piece of art isn't for everyone. It's all subjective, but I would call it a great work because you rarely see this kind of personal film released into theaters these days. Uh, and even back then, I don't think you saw movies as personal. There are only a few filmmakers that, that can do that. And I think Gibson's is, you know, this is one of the, <laughs> the weirder ones. Um,
0: but but that, but that that's what's that that is before we move on and we go to break. That is what I find fascinating about just the making of the movie is the fact that a lot of times we, we speak about this all the time on the podcast. When a filmmaker gets too big, like for example Francis Ford Coppola, he could no longer make a good movie. I don't know how to explain it. It's like it's like when you listen to your favorite musical artist. Like usually, their best albums are like the first two, if not the first. Because once you get big, you're not a struggling artist anymore. It's hard to make a good piece of art. Right? because you're not struggling anymore. It's like when you struggle, that is when your art really comes through. That is when you have to make sacrifices. That is when things happen accidentally. And that's when you just create like the most amazing, fascinating works of art, be it music or film or painting or whatever. And when you get big, that disappears but with Mel Gibson. And he's kind of like gone backwards. It's like, he decides to go out and make this movies crazy over the top movie Based on the money he can afford, like, I mean, you said 30 million, it's like, I mean, Mel Gibson's rich, right? So he can afford $30 million, but he's still sacrificing $30 million to make a movie that he's passionate about, a project that he just wants to do, and he doesn't care if it makes money or not. Not Lucky for him, it made a shit ton of money. It was like the highest rated R movie up until... Deadpool, um, I think. No, no, Joker. Oh, okay. Joker. Yeah. Deadpool almost beat it, but it didn't. Joker was the one that beat it. So he made a, a shit ton of money. But like he just and like you see this sometimes Like you see some filmmakers where they will make one or two movies for the studio and then they will be allowed to make a smaller independent film for them in which they get full creative control. But it's rare. Like Steven Soderbergh does it, but he does it himself like he funds a lot of his independent films himself but it's because he makes movies like Ocean's Eleven right which makes a shit ton of money at the box office
1: Gibson never really had that he I mean the man without a face well Braveheart. Really Bra- Braveheart was his big hit but what an odd choice to do after Braveheart <laughs> and it wasn't even like that soon after I mean consider Gibson is not a prolific director he he made the man without a face and I think that was in 1993 Braveheart came out in '96. And then this came out in 2004, like eight years later. Gibson, who had won a best director, uh, doesn't direct a movie until eight years later. And this is the project that he chooses. Then he does Apocalypto fairly soon after. And then it takes years because, of course, he went into the doghouse uh, before Hacksaw Ridge. I mean, and that's it. That's his whole, you know. What do you mean he went into the doghouse? Well, he went to the doghouse for the things that he said, uh, um, his his anti-Semitic statements and all the the stuff with his wife and all of his personal problems. He went to the Hollywood doghouse and he wasn't really working much and he wasn't directing, obviously. Uh, Before we get into some of the more specifics of this movie, let's take a quick break. Uh, I could talk about this movie for a long, 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 long time, but uh, we don't have that kind of time. So let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll do our questions. Kazi a pumek yen nakazi. Kashi kranti straf netur.
0: Di taidov kazi udam. Hata vlak.
1: Zer doni. Zer haja. Zer naja.
0: Auu! Klaa! Tenkol! Hand! Kalil! Kalil! Kitera! Kalil! Kitera! Kalil! Kitera! Kalil! 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 Kalil!
1: okay that was another clip from mel gibson's the passion of the christ uh all right we've come to the the point of the podcast where we do our five questions um sort of get to the bottom we what we experienced while seeing this movie uh we try to generally stay positive but there are is going to be a chance for criticism some more criticism here um so I guess that we'll, we'll just start off with the positive stuff, which we always do. Uh, Rick, what was your favorite scene from The Passion of the Christ?
0: Okay, so I'm going to sort of cheat, and I'm going to give you two answers. And the reason why is because my favorite shot, it's not really a scene, but I mentioned it earlier. It's the shot when we get the point of view of God's eye, he cries, the tear drops to the earth, and the earth shatters, causing an earthquake. Not really a scene, I guess. I mean, sort of, but it's like it's really that camera shot, right? Mm-hmm. But I think my favorite scene, and you might think I'm weird for saying this, but it's the scene. Well, it's mostly the scenes with Judas, specifically right before he kills himself, he hangs himself, he commits suicide. Because I, I think the thing is, is like it it, 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 it was a break away from all of the gore and act, um, not action, but the repeated whippings and 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 just the torture. But it's also because like I just wanted to know more about that character. Mm-hmm. And so I wish, and this is the thing about the movie. is like, I wish the movie just gave us a bit more, a bit more of Judas, a bit more of the resurrection, a bit more of, I don't know. Maybe I just wanted more because I kind of felt like there was so much potential to make this movie even better, like amazing. So I just really like the scene with, see actually the scenes with Judas, because you see him sort of like mentally breaking down. And I love the way that was shot specifically because it really came across as like a psychological horror film, Right. Whereas with Jesus Christ, it was more of like, and I know you don't like to use the word torture porn, but like for lack of better words, like torture porn, like it was just like very physical, right? with the, the actual horror of it all. Yeah. Whereas with Judas, it was more psychological. And so that's kind of like what I liked about it. It reminded me of sort of like a, a weird Polanski psychological horror film or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely right up there for me. And I talked about how I love the Judas stuff, and it is an, a nice little break. I also feel like Judas is the Mel Gibson stand-in. I feel like if there was a character that he identified with, it would be Judas. Um, I'm sure everybody wishes they were, you know, more you – know, not the person who, who betrayed. <laughs> but that is kind of the stand-in. Judas has always been sort of the stand-in for everybody, uh, for for the masses, you know, for humanity. Like, he's the most human character in the Bible. And he's not – I think it's important to note that he's not supposed to be seen as a, as a villain that uh, was always supposed to happen. He was fulfilling a role like even Jesus in the Bible is like, you know, this, this is you've got to go through with this. You have to go through with this. Uh, he knew that it had to happen. Right. So Judas, even though he was reviled for a long time, and of course, the, you know, the idea of somebody being a Judas meant that they were a betrayer. In the Bible, it's a little bit they, they they go a little softer on him because it was a role that had to be played by somebody, and it was just his bad luck. Uh, all right, so my favorite scene, um, and it's actually more of a moment than a scene. I love all the Judas stuff, obviously. Um, I, I think that's part of the best part, one of the best parts of the movie. Now, I I could argue that based upon the filmmaking, I would almost say that the initial whipping scene. I wouldn't say it's my favorite scene. I think it's extremely well done because Gibson knows how to create. He knows that will wear you down with the whipping, and then when they flip him over, this feeling comes over you like, oh my god, this is going to happen again. To me, that was like masterful filmmaking in a, in a way to, to make you just absolutely just be wiped out of this. But that's not my favorite scene. My favorite scene is one that gets me every time emotionally, and I wondered if it would happen this last time that I saw it because the other two times it did, and sure enough, yep, felt a little lump in my throat. It's when... Jesus is carrying the cross and there's a great like profile shot that again looks like a painting. And it must be based on some Renaissance painting where it's uh, Mary is in this hallway, this stone hallway and through the arches on the other side, she sees him carrying the cross and he falls to his knees and she has a flashback of him falling as a little kid and her motherly instincts kick in. And so she's running towards the adult version of her son while also remembering the time that she ran towards the child version of her son. And uh, no longer was he the son of God. He was just her kid. And, uh, and he was falling and he was in trouble, right? He was hurt. And so she was trying to help him, but she couldn't help him. And she's utterly helpless. So I, I, that scene always gets me every single time. Uh, there's probably nothing that can be done about that. It's just done so well, the cutting back and forth between the flashbacks and the present day.
0: That scene is the reason why I think this movie had so much potential. But if the movie was only longer, like maybe a six hour long sort of like series or I don't know, but like, because you have that flashback. And so you get to see her, her relationship with him when he was younger, when he was just her son, before he became like this prophet and Jesus Christ, regardless if you believe he's a son of God or not, whatever, you know, before he became Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you have this, because it's easier to have like an emotional reaction to the character, When that character has characters that they are emotionally, um, you know, tied to like, you know, in this case, the mom, right? So you you know what I mean? Otherwise it's just a guy getting beat. And yes, it's Jesus, but it's still,
1: it's important that Mary's in the movie because that's the only emotional connection you really have.
0: Well, you kind of have like Peter and John and Judas, but like for sure her. And so like, that is why like, I, I like, and again, he's making the resurrections. Like, who knows? Maybe you can get the resurrection if it actually gets, you know, made completed because he, yeah, yeah. he's trying to make it. So you get the resurrection, you get the passion and you watch them back to back. And maybe that's the movie I personally want. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know.
1: If there was one thing that you could change about this movie, what would it be? <laughs> There's
0: a lot of things I would change, but <laughs> um, I'm trying to decide if I want to say the opening or the ending.
1: Ooh, interesting. I'd like to hear what you what your problem with the opening really is.
0: I just don't like the way the opening looks. I don't like the way it's shot. I I don't like the framing, the lighting. I don't like the setup. I don't like the way it just introduces the quote-unquote characters. I just don't like the opening at all. Oh,
1: interesting. Okay. I'm always captivated by the opening. That's one of the parts that I like seeing the most. Interesting.
0: No, I just – I kind of feel like if you turn this movie on at like 2 o'clock in the morning had no idea what it was – and you just saw it, like that first like five minutes, that first ten minutes, you might just like change the channel. Like for me personally, I just didn't do it for me. I just didn't like the opening. But the thing about the ending too is that the ending bugs me. Like that one last final shot. Blog. But here's why it really bugs me. Okay, so you have this movie where Mel Gibson just assumes that you know the story of Jesus Christ, yeah. and to the point where he didn't even want to have subtitles. Okay, fine. Okay, so you're gonna beat the man. You're gonna like give us like one hour of torture. Because you want to make it as like "quote unquote" realistic as you think it actually was and ha- how it happened, but then at the very end you have Jesus, who's you know reborn. He resurrects, and he looks he looks in good shape, man. Like the guy looks like he went to the gym and he went to the hair salon and everything, but yet he had the hole in the middle of his palm because he has to put that that shot focus on 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 his hand just in case you didn't know that this is him. Like not like a flashback, but this is him resurrecting. Like you mean it? Just bugs me because the rest of his body is fully totally rejuvenated, <laughs> but he has that that hole that focuses on the hole in his hand. Just in case you didn't know, well, like the, I don't know why that drives me up a wall. You
1: know, that's interesting. I mean, obviously, uh, another big visual element in the Bible is the holes in his palms. So, like the, you've heard of doubting Thomas, right? And Thomas needed to see the holes and he, and he actually like, that's a big part of the, in the Bible, like proving that it is him. Like for, with that, yeah. Like reason.
0: if you had that scene, if you had that scene with that character, fine. Yeah. But this is just him. Like, it's like, he's just, it's like, it's like, unless he assumes we are him, like we, the audience needs to also like, you know what I mean? That's like, well, you, we know this.
1: You know, what's odd is in the Bible, nobody ever recognizes him until they see the holes. And that that, I've always found that to be very strange, like they see the holes in his hands and then they recognize him. But a lot of them just see him as a stranger at first. And I was wondering originally if Gibson was going to have like a completely different actor or a lot of different makeup on Jim Caviezel in order to make him look like a totally different person, but then show the hole because of that. I think he's just doing it because it's an image that people know.
0: So, so what he said was, and I did, I do I do remember this from an interview way back in the day. This is one thing I do remember. Actually, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember this correctly. He said that the reason why he didn't want to take it to the extreme in which you wouldn't even be able to recognize uh, Jesus Christ because they would brutalize him so bad that even his face would be completely disfigured was because he still needed the audience to have that connection to the character, the actor on screen. And he thought that would be taking it too far where he would lose the audience. Mm-hmm. But still, it's just the fact that he focuses the camera shot. <laughs> and I get I I, I'm, I you're absolutely right in what you are saying. If we had that scene in which him and Thomas, you know, uh, we have like that specific scene, and then he needs to prove to him by showing him the the uh, the holes in the palm of his hands. But that's not the actual case. He's it's just us, the viewers, the audience, yeah. like watching from home, and it's like we understand what happened here. So but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like overthinking, like. Just the framing of the shot, it just felt a little too on for my for my money for my taste. I,
1: I actually would cut out the entire epilogue, period. I you know if I, okay, if I, so I'm not alone. No, I think it I think it should end on the. It's more powerful if it ends on the last shot with Mary staring straight into the camera, like right at at the feet of the cross. Like I I think that should have been your last shot. That was the last shot. But I think you wanted to end on on hope. But that's not what the movie was about. So I, I like. Go all in on the torture, you know, go all in on the guilt and the shame. Don't try to end it with some hope at the end. Like, you don't need that. The the big part of Catholicism is the guilt. It's okay to focus on guilt. That's not, like, a bad thing. It's how you do it. But you didn't need the hope at the end.
0: But you know why I think he did it? So here's here's my theory, and I could be completely wrong. But I think that that would have been the better ending. That would have been the better movie. But if he had ended it where – Jesus just dies Mm -hmm. and you don't get the scene, then the movie is basically never actually 100 percent claiming and saying that he is for sure the son of God and he did resurrect. Sure. You know what I mean? Then the movie ends and he could just be a false prophet.
1: He could be. And I I bet, of course, if you're, you know, the context again, like anybody who reads and believes in the Bible is going to know what happens next. So they didn't really need to see that. But I guess for other audiences, maybe. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. I never liked that. I never liked that shot. And I had forgotten about the whole when I when I watched it again. I was like, I like the whole in the hand thing. I just don't like the epilogue. I wish it ended on the Mary shot. And yeah, because I think that's such a powerful moment. And that's kind of like, what a powerful ending that would have been, I think. Um, yes, for me, I would change. Uh, I would severely cut the carrying of the cross. I don't. What? I because he falls five times. It's too many. It, it it feels like okay, we got this already. It's it's the whipping. I think is better filmmaking, even though it's excruciating. It, wait, wait. Did you say you would cut it or trim it? I would trim it. Trim it. No, not cut oh, okay No, I okay. would trim it. I would trim two of the falls out. I don't think you need to see every single moment. I don't think you need to see the Shroud of Turin lady. Uh, which uh, cle- clearly is meant to be. And I know that happened in the Bible where somebody wiped his face. I don't think we needed to see that. Uh, maybe he just wanted some, a sympathetic character at that moment. But, but he already had uh, you know, Simon of Cyrene, I think is his name, um, the guy carrying the cross for him. Like, it just, He didn't need to fall that many times. You had, you had the one fall, like, okay, we get it. He falls once because he's exhausted. Then he got the fall with Mary, and then you can have one more fall. But you don't get two more after that. Like, that's just too many. It's dragging it on. And it dissipates, I think, the power of those moments. Because in the Stations of the Cross, the times when he falls are very plotted out, very choreographed, right? It's like this station, this station, this station. And they're timed for the maximum impact. And I think with having this many falls in, they don't really, those extra two don't actually contribute anything. Uh, They just sort of prolong the sequence a little bit. And they dissipate the power of the other falls because they make it more commonplace um so you just it it, it, to me it's different than the whipping and i know people like always focus on the whipping because that is the most brutal part obviously um but the whipping makes it goes on forever and it's excruciating but it i think it's done really well and like i said that that sense of dread when you realize they're going to turn them over and you've got to go through this again it's like oh my god um but i think with the cross thing i start to get i start to get bored and because there's nothing it's adding it's not adding any sense of palpable dread or anything like that I, I it's not it's not teaching me anything about it. it's not giving it there's no power behind those other two there's two of them I would have cut out
0: but but one of the stations of the cross is her wiping his blood yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know her name. I forget her name, but she so, does wipe the blood off of his face.
1: Yeah, and that's fine. You can have the one fall where the guy has to help him, the one fall where Mary runs up to him, and the one fall where she wiped the blood. That to me is enough. We didn't need the other two. I didn't need to see that guy, like him fall down and get up two more times uh, because they don't really add anything. So
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but they don't actually show the 14th station on the cross in a movie.
1: Uh, I think they pretty much cover them. I'm a little rusty on the stations as to what they all are. But I believe, cause that's all covered with like the, um, cause I remember saying it, incense. Like, well, Oh yeah. I remember holding the incense and I remember wanting to like pa- pass out because it's floating up in my face. Uh, oh really? I love that. Story. Oh God. I was, I would like <laughs> I love my it. breath as it wafted up in, into my nose. and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to pass out. I'm getting woozy. Getting woozy. <laughs> I had to like, hang on. Uh, but I do remember, like, you know, the whole crowd had to play the crowd, right? All that stuff with Pontius Pilate, that's in the stations, I believe. And, you know, because, you know, you're supposed to recite those lines like you want Barabbas and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so I think it does go through all the stations. I, it's, But, it, it, but I, I, I'm not sure about that. And it is based partly on the stations and partly on a book that was written uh, called Dolores' Passion of the Christ, I believe. So just
0: humor me here. So the first one's when he's in the garden. The second one is when he's arrested. Uh yeah, and then he's like uh then the third is when he's condemned. He, and then the fourth is when Peter denies him.
1: I'll take your word for that. I can't remember the fifth. Yeah, I I'm I'm totally like for me I I'm fuzzy on it exactly. Um
0: And then I and mean, then, then there's the of course the whipping and the crown and then Yes. He bears the cross, and then there's the wiping of the blood. There's three
1: falls. And three falls are in there. Three falls,
0: yeah. One of the falls is the wiping of the yep. blood. One of uh, involves his mom. Um, I can't remember.
1: And then, of course, there's the actual getting nailed to the cross, and the there's the the crucifixion part. You know, where he where he actually died. You get stabbed in the side. That part was in there. Um, but but but
0: the reason why I bring this up is because before I said that, and we both said it would have been better an ending if it just ended with her face and i brought up the rebuttal that if you did that then the movie can argue that he's not maybe necessarily the son of god and i can you know that can anger some people but but also like the 14th station is when they lay him on the tomb and they cover his body and so you kind of need that scene in order to actually do the 14 stations if this is because the movie is based on the 14 stations so you need to get him to the 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 the, the, the tomb.
1: tomb but you're right they never wrapped him up but that's but but i think it was still would have made for a better movie like the, the first of all him rising isn't part of the stations because that's easter sunday
0: uh, <laughs> so, no it's not <laughs> no but that's that's what i'm saying like like that's what's bizarre about it like if it was him on the tomb right regardless if they cover him up or that you just see a shot of him yeah line there in the rap then that would have yeah. that would have covered the 14 stations. It's kind of like they skip station number fourteen and just move on to the resurrection. So really it's a thirteen stations plus one minute of resurrection.
1: Right. And obviously Mel
0: Gibson had it completely wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All credibility lost in this movie. <laughs> I'm
0: I'm not one of those people that hates this movie. Like for me it's kind of like I I'm conflicted. Like I kind of wanna love it because I think the filmmaking so good it's just hard for me like i feel like i would be lying if i said i enjoyed a movie
1: yeah me but too. the
0: ending is what i think kind of makes me feel conflicted because like you said if you remove the epilogue i think i wouldn't walk away thinking i wanted more of like the resurrection and more about his life than the positives and I think that the ending would have had more impact on me, even though right. the epilogue only lasts like about a minute.
1: Yeah, but it's so positive. And I think the movie's impact was supposed to be negative. And I, I think it's what, what he intended. It's what that's why he makes makes you go through all that uh, torture. And, yeah, I think that the the, uh, the the happy ending undermines that a little bit. If it's supposed to be the, the passion it has nothing to do with the resurrection, like the. Passion plays, of course, for these things that where people put on the, the stages of the cross, stations of the cross, you know, as a play. But that, you know, and passion, you know, from the original Latin meant suffering. Uh, so that is what it's supposed to be about: suffering. It, it's not supposed to have the happy ending in my mind. But yeah, I'd cut. I, I'd be fine with cutting. That's a good choice, cutting out the, the epilogue. And then I also think get rid of two of those falls because I think they they minimize the the impact of the others. Now, uh, who is the MVP of this movie, Rick? What is the actor's name? Jim Cavizzo.
0: I wasn't sure how you pronounce his last name. Caviezel. Jim Cavizzo. I wanna I wanna say mad Mel, but <laughs> like I just like after what we just spoke about, like Mel Gibson kinda got a few things wrong. Ah <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I, I just think his, his dedication to the role, his performance is just amazing. Like incredible. Like it blew me away. I, I don't think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to him just so I don't have to give it to Mel
1: Gibson. I don't think there's any question that Caviezel is the MVP of this thing. Oh, you agree? Yeah, okay. I, I think Gibson's filmmaking is great. Don't get me wrong. And I, again, I find him to be one of the most interesting directors out there. Like I will see any Mel Gibson movie. There's not a question in my mind. It's like you know, I, I, I'm there. But Caviezel goes through Ellen back
0: <laughs> in this role, and it's it's his eyes. Like his performance relies more because he doesn't have much dialogue right and there are some moments where he says like you know lord forgive them or or whatever like they don't know what they're doing etc etc but a lot of his performance comes through in his emotional reactions it's through his facial expressions and his eyes there's something about his eyes it's like it's like as if he was going through a religious experience while making the movie
1: yeah, I, I mean, I think he connected to this. There, I don't think I've seen uh, the character portrayed quite in the same way. There's always a lot of reverence uh, attached to the character, of course. Uh, Willem Dafoe did it a completely different way and also very good. But um, this is a more traditional Jesus, but in a much more powerful version of it, in my mind. Like, you're right, his because his eyes are pretty much all you can see through the makeup <laughs> towards the end of the movie, especially. And he does a great job of communicating Uh, Especially, you know, with with uh, Simon of Cyrene and, you know, with the guys on the hanging on the cross next to him and everything like that. And he's doing it through just absolutely mangled face. So, yeah, I think there's no question like his physical performance in this, um, the way he carries himself as, you know, he's supposed to be super weak and but he still has to make it up that hill. So I think he does a good job of balancing somebody who's who's been absolutely brutalized, but is finding the strength to to go on still, and that's 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 tough to do, especially when you don't have a lot of dialogue helping you out. Uh, all right, so here we go. This this could be the most interesting uh, interesting uh, question that we have here. Well, first of all, will we'll, we'll, does it pass the Howard Hawks test? Which is, of course, uh, to be a great movie, you got got to have three great scenes and no bad ones. So. Would you say this passes the Howard Hawks test, Rick? Hmm. This is tricky.
0: Because I'm not a fan of the opening, but I don't think it's bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just wish we had sort of like a different way to introduce us to the character in the film, but that's neither here nor there. The ending, the epilogue, man, I don't know, because like it's that one – it's one minute. Do you consider this – it's kind of like, the thing is it's kind of like even though I I prefer to not have it and I think it would be a better ending if we ended with the shot of of Mary uh-huh. I still think it's necessary because if you remove that shot then the movie doesn't actually uh like in within the movie it's not proven that he is actually the son of God he could still be a false prophet because it's sort of like a, it would be like equivalent of a TV show ending with a cliffhanger <laughs> <So> like <laughs> wait a minute so <laughs> you know I mean? but but the thing is at the same time like we don't really get the 14th. I could be wrong, but I don't think we get the 14th station. No, I think so, you're right,
1: because we never see the whole wrapping up and preparing of the body. So, I think you're right.
0: So, I... Ooh, this one's tough. This one's tough. I'm going to say, yes, it pass, passes the Howard Hawks test. Yeah, I think... It, because Because here's the thing. It's not that it's poorly... It's not that the scene is badly like like there's no it's not like it, it, it has bad acting or bad cinematography or bad lighting or, or continuity errors or whatever it's just a matter of uh opinion like taste like would i prefer to have it or not have it but there's something actually wrong with the way the scene's made
1: no no and that's what i always think about it too the epilogue is like something I, I would rather not have there because i think there's more impact if you just leave it on the shot of mary as the last shot but that's my personal opinion and maybe gibson didn't want to do that maybe he wanted to offer some hope after all the torture i don't think it's necessary and i would rather see that the big time guilt thing kind of how the same way i i like darren aronofsky's noah for the for the majority of the movie until kind of the happy ending which i i don't like i like the traditional like, like this guy's kind of crazy and horrible in a way and that was true mythology um yeah i think it, i think it passes i don't think there's a bad scene in the movie not not that's poorly done or poorly acted there's going to be scenes that people don't like but i wouldn't call any of them bad uh you know obviously there are people who would who will criticize lots of different things about this movie um you know certain portrayals and things like that i, I would disagree with them on all of those on all of those i think everything is actually done very very well um so yeah i would say passes the howard hawks test for sure uh and in that sense I think it is a great movie and great doesn't always mean the most entertaining but I do think it is a great movie in that sense. Now does it stand the test of time?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean first of all <laughs> Jesus Christ the Bible <laughs> the story of Jesus Christ stands a test of time. I don't time. know, I don't
1: think that's so freaking <laughs> <It's> got legs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is my problem with film reviews too, right? I've always said this. This is why I like this podcast because with this podcast, we don't go to the movie theater, watch a new release and review it like the next day or two hours later because then you're just feeding off of your, your gut emotional reaction from walking out of the movie theater and what you automatically feel. You don't have time to digest or think about your feelings or – you know what I mean? Like let some time pass, mm-hmm. Right. I remember when the movie came out, a lot of people, from what I remember, were giving it bad reviews and were really offended. But I think that was just their initial gut reaction from watching it and walking out of the theater, which is normal because everyone's going to get that initial reaction from anything, right? From any movie you watch. Um, and it makes but you feel bad. Now It's a movie that makes you feel right, bad. Right, but now, right, but we're 16 years removed, right? Like, I think this movie came out 16 years yep. ago. I think it stands to test the time that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to like it, but I think that in 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now, people are going to watch this movie and they're going to like it. And they're going to think it's incredibly well-made. That's not going to change.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think it absolutely does. And I think people will be watching this movie, uh, you know, 20 years from now, just like many other biblical movies that, you know, maybe don't stand the test of time as much, actually. Like, I think movies like Ben Hur, people don't really want to see that anymore. And it, it is, it is a tough sit, uh, during certain, se- uh, you know, segments of it. but. Um, I think this one is going to hold up because it's extremely focused, and people are going to get something out of it. It is very well made. It's extremely well made for what it is trying to do. Uh, not everybody's going to like what it's trying to do, and that's fine. Uh, but I think it's going to hold up for those who do. Who you know? Who, there will always be people who connect with this movie. I think. Um, so I think it's gonna it's gonna have its place, and the fact that it's still playing 16 years later, you know, there are a lot of movies that don't. And you see this movie like I think it was it's been advertised quite a bit over the course of this, you know, over the course of Lent and and even afterwards after Easter. Uh, So and I think it's going to just keep popping up around those times. I think people are going to continue watching it. And um, yeah, it's you know, you know what I don't
0: understand. If I was a if I was a Hollywood movie producer, I'd be making movies about religion like every year. Like it's nobody's business because they make so much money. Like like how did they not make more movies based on stories from the Bible cuz you're going to make a ton of money at the box office.
1: You know they did make some. Uh, I remember there was a movie about Mary I believe uh, or the nativity. I remember the, the I cannot remember the director's name but she did Whale Rider. Um uh, and she made a movie called The Nativity. It, it it's funny because Hollywood of course did notice because they don't want a filmmaker making 600 million dollars by himself. They want to. They want to slice of that pie, and so yeah, they did put into production some biblical stuff, and we you know we got movies like Noah years later and stuff like that. But um, I, I think for one thing, I don't think they like making them very often. Um, I don't think they know how to market them. Gibson knew. Gibson was very savvy as to how to market this thing, and he went straight to churches in a lot of cases, and entire churches would all go see the movie. Um, I, I, well,
0: that's why I made so much money, right? It, it's no different than when you release a family movie and you have a family of four or five yeah. going to the movie theater. So you got five people buying a movie ticket. It's like if you have an entire church of a thousand people going to a movie theater. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean it's it's a brilliant way to market the movie. And
1: I don't think that Hollywood quite knows how to market religious movies very well. Um, but Gibson Gibson knew how, and he did a great job of it, and that's why it was so successful. Yeah, they kind of gave up on them. They they tried for a little bit for a couple years, and it just didn't work out, and so they just sort of abandoned it. And it's too bad, because most of the religious movies, the Christian movies get made, are are crap. Like, they're just not very well made. (laughs) I'm fine with the inspiration and the the passion behind them. You know, great if you're a filmmaker and you really believe in your material and and that's what you're going for, fine. But the the craft isn't there, the level of artistry isn't there that, that Mel Gibson brought to this project he is an artist i think as a filmmaker and i think he's proven that with his other movies i think i think braveheart the passion of the christ apocalypto that's a great run right there by an artist then he was kind of stopped in his tracks for a little while and hacksaw ridge is also a very good movie but it's a more traditional movie um but yeah i i think i i'm looking forward to seeing mad mel come back in the directorial chair because i think he can be an absolute artist when he wants to be and i think this is one of those movies which is why it can be so off-putting some of the best artists they really do turn people off sometimes Ah, oh, all right with that i think we'll wrap things up um uh, all right so obviously you can find uh both of us over at goombastomp.com where else can you find us rick
0: on twitter goombastomp goombastomp, goombastomp mag yeah, Goomba Stomp Mag. Uh, I handle the official Twitter account for Goomba Stomp. I don't really have a personal Twitter account. If you really want to get to know me, you can just like me on Facebook. And uh, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, uh, Spotify. We are everywhere. This podcast is everywhere. We are even on YouTube, but people don't really listen to us on YouTube, but we are there for some reason.
1: Yeah, and definitely give us a rating. Uh, It goes a long way towards helping us out. uh, Expands the the reach of the podcast. Give us a review. We love hearing from anybody any sort of criticisms or likes or dislikes, whatever you got. Um, Or you can, you know, shoot us a message on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Sorted Cinema. So um, definitely... Definitely message me if you want to, if you you want to debate with me about Mel Gibson and the Passion of the Christ. Uh, (laughs) But uh, other than that, yeah, uh, you can also find me over at Goombastop.com, of course. All right. uh, That should do it for today's show. We will be back next week. We'll talk to you then.